Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And there's a new documentary that's been killing it literally on the festival circuit this past year. It's called The History of Horror and Metal, and it's directed and produced by Mike Schiff. I'm actually in it as well. I first met Mike when he worked on Fozzie's video for Sandpaper way back in 2012. You hear some of the great stories from that shoot coming up. And Mike is a horror and metal fan, decided to do this documentary about the deep connection and roots between heavy metal music and horror films. Mike did over 60 interviews. He talked to a who's who of the horror genre, from Gunnar Hansen from the Texas Chainsaw Has- uh, Massacre, Kane Hodder, of course, Jason Voorhees, uh, John Carpenter, Bell Lugosi's son. He also talked to some of the biggest names in heavy metal as well. Kirk Hammett, Alice Cooper, Corey Taylor, Scott Ian, Chris Jericho. You hear what inspired this movie, what Mike thinks about the connection himself, some of his faves in metal and horror, and who he really wanted to speak with but wasn't able to get for the documentary. The doc has won a bunch of awards and should be available early next year for everyone to see. Info will be posted at metalhorror.com. And speaking of metal, Fozzie just wrapped up a great run of dates in Europe. Shows are incredible. The entire tour was sold out. Thanks to everybody who came and rocked with us. And the Save the World Tour is headed out again in March, doing another round of dates in the States, and this time we're headed to the West Coast as well. We start March 31st in Detroit and hit California starting May 5th in L.A. at the world-famous Whiskey Agogo. Tickets are available at FozzyRock.com. We're doing our legendary, uh, much-anticipated, much-requested uh, uh, legendary VIP meet-and-greet. It's the best of the biz. Get your ticks now at FozzyRock.com. Um, of course, we play a mini set of songs for you. We hang out. We meet you. We greet you. We have a great time. Once again, get your tickets and VIPs at FozzyRock.com. All right, The Rock continues now with director Mike Schiff and the history of horror and heavy metal. The documentary right here on Talk is Jericho. This is actually a, a pretty cool topic because this has been a long time coming. We're talking to, to Mike Schiff here, who's the director of the uh, history of metal and horror. I, I like a movie that tells you exactly what it's about right out of the gate. It's the history of metal and horror. But the thing is, we've known each other for a long time, and we'll get into this, but seeing this movie... You've been working on this for a long time, and I can tell because I'm in it with short hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How long has this been going on? Oh, man, started in 2014. <laughs> it's going way back. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's been close to seven years I've been working on this. So that just goes to show, too, for people who, who are listening that don't know a lot about the actual the art of filmmaking. It takes a long time to make a movie sometimes, like you mentioned seven years to do this documentary and it seems almost like a no-brainer because there's such a connection between heavy metal and horror movies but why did it take you seven years to get this done uh, a lot of reasons a lot of reasons so yeah it's it's i wasn't working with a huge production company i was pretty much doing most of the work myself uh with some help you know with uh, my friend robert lucas who is also a producer on the film and he was very well connected in the metal and horror world so he was able to really uh help get this thing started but yeah it's hard raising funds i did raise some but it's always a little bit of a struggle so it was raising money but then it was also you know we're not just setting up a studio somewhere and having right all the interviewees show up and saying hey here's a schedule and then you could just bang out all the interviews in one month it's like everyone's donating their time so we kind of work around their schedule so if someone like you, for example. I mean, you know, you were the first interview that we that we did. Really? Yeah. And you guys, uh, I think you guys were performing at the Gramercy in New York. So I saw that you guys were were lined up for that. So I reached out to you. Um, 
because you and I knew each other prior to that. And I asked you if you could, uh, you know, do our, our first interview and, and, and you, you gave your time to, to give us a great one to start with. So, yeah, so it was a lot of that. It was a lot of just kind of waiting for the right moment where someone was available, you know, and sometimes we'd work it out with management where we'd fly out to a person's house or to wherever, you know, like Dave Mustaine had us at his house. Alice Cooper had us at Cooperstown at his restaurant. So, you know, a lot of it is just kind of working on scheduling and, and there's a huge waiting game involved in doing something like this. So how did you come up with the original concept of it? So in 2014, my friend Rob and producer had invited me to Kirk Hammett's Fear Festival convention in California. And he knew Kirk and he knows a lot of people that were involved and invited there. So he brought me on board to do some videotaping, some photography, and just kind of help out and hang out and kind of have a good time and do a little work. So after that, basically what Kirk's convention was, was just like huge combination of metal and horror people. You know, the stars of, of heavy metal, stars of horror brought it together into this one uh, weekend. And afterwards, I turned to Rob and I said, hey, you know, has there ever been a documentary made on why metal and horror work so well together? You know, I mean, we saw this, you know, at Kirk's show. It's like these two worlds collided. So there hadn't yet been a documentary made on the subject matter. So I figured it would be a good time to get one started. Were you a fan of both? Yeah. I mean, I grew up with with horror since I was a little kid. My dad got me started very early on. He was a huge fan of the Universal Monsters. He grew up in that period. And then uh, he got into the Hammer films later after that. And then he got me started when I was a little kid. So very early on, I got into horror huge fan as a little kid. I was drawing Freddy Krueger gloves, you know, on, on my desk in school and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then I didn't really get into metal until later. Uh, I was a little slow on that end. Uh, I started listening to soundtracks mostly when I was a kid, you know, Lost Boy soundtrack. And mm-hmm. then I started buying the score uh, to a lot of horror films, the Elm Street soundtracks. And those, of course, you know, started having a lot of uh, rock and metal bands on the soundtracks and everything. So that kind of got me in. And then later in the nineties, I got a little bit more into the metal scene. And then now I can pretty much say I'm a, I'm a horror and a metal head. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you're uh, uh, really into it when you buy the soundtracks for the horror movies, but it doesn't even have actual songs on them. Like it was just the actual orchestration. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, cause I was also doing like short films with my friends back in those days. So I'd get like the, uh, you know, the scores to these films and, and copy them over into, into my movies. So I'd have like, <laughs> you right. know, a score that I would just copy over. It's funny because one of the first times I, I hung out with Eli Roth, I went to his house and he was playing the soundtrack for Fulci's Zombie. Mm-hmm. And I said, is that the soundtrack for Fulci's Zombie? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, what, what is worse? The fact that I just randomly come over to your house and you're randomly playing Fulci Zombie just for yourself. <laughs> or the fact that I recognized that it was the soundtrack for Fulci Zombie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so so when, when you get the idea to, to do this documentary and you start putting together the ideas, so let's talk a little bit about, about, you know, you mentioned you went to Kirk's Festival. He's kind of a, almost a bucket list guest on Talk is Jericho for me, not only for the Metallica side of things, but of course for the horror side of things as well. Because Kirk has a massive collection of horror movie items, trinkets, uh, special effects, props. Did you ever talk to him about that or see some of the stuff that he had? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, at both of his shows that he did, uh, 2014 and 2015, I believe, he brings in truckloads of his collection. So he will have life-size Frankensteins and Draculas and, and, and all this kind of stuff. It, it really looks like it. it's like a museum that, mm-hmm. that he built. And it's all his stuff. And he has old posters, original posters, props, just like an amazing collection of stuff. And a lot of, you know, he, he had that book, uh, Too Much Horror Business. So he shows a lot of a lot of stuff in that book. I would definitely recommend that for, for some good reading. But yeah, as it shows, I mean, it was just incredible how much stuff he had there. I can't imagine what his storage unit looks like or where he keeps his stuff because it's, it's a massive, massive, very cool collection. I went to uh, Tom Savini's house once in Pittsburgh, and he ha- he has a similar thing. He's got a lot of his casts and and, and masks and, and head busts that he's done. But he also collects, you know, horror memorabilia. That's the word I was looking for before, memorabilia. But unlike Kirk, he keeps it all in his house. He's got one of those houses that's got like – you could put it on like junk collectors or whatever it is, like on A and E or something. He's but every bit of it is cool shit. And he yeah. actually, the one thing that I remember the most is is if you, I think it was Lost in Space that show yep. from the sixties. He actually has the real Robbie the robot. He does. The, it's like as tall as I am, just sitting there, and like I think his mouth moves or something, or it moves a little bit, and it's like just in his room, like in his living room. Yeah, it's in it's in his bedroom, like right, right. He has got yeah. his bed, and then he's got surrounded by. He's just literally surrounded by stuff, you know, like props. Did, have, have you? Did you interview Tom for this? Yeah, Tom's in it. Uh, Tom's Tom's become a friend over the years, which is another cool thing about working on stuff like this. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I originally, originally wanted to be a special effects artist and Savini, Rick Baker and, and Dick, you know, uh, yeah. and all these guys like, uh, you know, I, I followed them and I'd go to conventions, wait in line to get an autograph and stuff. And I remember meeting Tom back in late eighties, early nineties or something like that. But then working along through this process, uh, Tom's kind of become a friend and, uh, yeah, I've been to his house a couple of times and it, it really is the coolest house. And he grew up in that house. He's been there forever. Yeah, it, it is. It's very dark. It's very creepy and very cool. But what he what he would do is he'd go to conventions when he'd do signings and things like that. And he'd always have to buy something <laughs> at someone's <laughs> table. And then he'd have to have it shipped, you know, back to his house. So that's kind of how he over the years, he just collects stuff. Talk is Jericho is supported by Fairway Meat Market. Fairway Meat Market's quality meat comes straight from America's heartland. You guys know how much we love to grill at my house, and the first thing we threw on the grill was the ribeye steaks from the Fairway Butcher's Holiday Collection box. They were delicious and immediately ordered more. Uh, We loved everything in the Fairway Meat Market box so far. Fairway's highly experienced team of butchers does every cut of meat to make sure that you get the same quality they put into every in-store customer experience. And Fairway has such a, a great selection as well, from ribs to ribeyes, pork chops and beef tenderloin they have every kind of meat and cut that your grill grill and kitchen can handle all you gotta do is go to fairwaymeatmarket.com select your favorite meat and then wait patiently by your grill for it to be delivered such a fan that fairway has put a little something special together for all the sexy beasts talk is jericho listeners and this week you can get the butcher's holiday collection valued at 275 dollars for just 169 dollars and 99 cents. And you get free shipping when you use my promo code Jericho at checkout. The Butcher's Holiday Collection package is loaded. You get two 12-ounce USDA choice ribeye steaks, two 8-ounce USDA choice filet mignon steaks, two 8-ounce USDA choice sirloin filets, uh, four 8-ounce 100% full-blood Wagyu patties, six 8-ounce certified Duroc boneless pork chops, 
two pounds of private label bacon. That's over $100 off the best meat in America this holiday season, plus free shipping nationwide. That's fairwaymeatmarket.com. Use the promo code Jericho and look for the Butcher's Holiday Collection. That's fairwaymeatmarket.com. F-A-R-E-W-A-Y-M-E-A-T market.com. Use the promo code Jericho and eat like a king. So what you mentioned that, because we'll talk about this too. Uh, we worked together on the sandpaper video, yep. which I totally forgot about. When, like I said, when I watched this, because we talk about the video for a while. And right as I was getting on this podcast, I just went to refresh my memory of what your last name was. And as I saw Mike Schiff and I was like, Holy shit! Mike <laughs> did the camera and directed, you know, co-directed or DP'd that video. So, yeah. well, let's talk about it right now. So, was, what, what do you remember about that? Because this was oh. about <laughs> ten years ago or so. And, yeah. and just for people that don't know, we went out into the woods to do a kind of homage to Evil Dead, and the concept of the video was that the band gets possessed similar to Ash in the first Evil Dead, and we combat the demons and all that sort of thing. And we did it in this little cabin in the woods in, in somewhere in Georgia or something like that. So how did you get involved with that? What do you remember about it? Yeah, that was a good time. Um, how that came about sometime before that, because I worked at the Howard Stern Show for about seven years. And I'm good friends with Richard Christie, um, who you, of course, you know, uh, starred with in, uh, in Albino. Albino Farm. That's right. Yeah. And so Sean McEwen, uh, who directed, he, uh, him and I co-directed. Richard's second video for Charles of the Dam for Zero Span. So him and I met there. And then one day I just got a call from him saying, hey, I'm working with this band Fozzie and we need someone to come out to do camera and editing and, and stuff. I, and he said, would you be interested? I was like, yeah, man. So he had me come down and that's when I met all you guys. And then we shot this video, I think over two days at this this old cabin remember it was it was hot and humid and yeah <laughs> it was like <laughs> kind of swampy and stuff but it was a really fun shoot and and one story that, that I love to tell when, when people ask about it is uh I don't know if you remember the moth incident I don't tell it <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was late at night it was like a last shot right and it was it was at the last scene where all the uh, the trees come to life and and they wrap around the band members and you all get pulled out you know out of out of frame and so because we had all those big lights out in the middle of the woods, of course, they're attracting all the insects and the moths. And and I remember there was a moth, and this is like down south, you know, type insects. And there was a moth that must have had a wingspan of about you know, 10 or 12 <laughs> inches. It was, right? it was like, it was huge. And it was just like coming at us, you know? And I remember like you got in its way and you just started throwing like these punches at it. And it was just like, and everyone just started cracking up because it was just like Godzilla versus Mothra, you know? <laughs> And you, it's Chris Jericho, put, you know, throwing these punches at this giant moth and stuff, not not hitting it, but just kind of getting it out of the way. So that was, that was one of the funniest moments that we had. There. I do remember at one point I hit it and it was solid too. It was like hitting oh, like hit uh, like a piece of cardboard or something because it was fast. I remember the thing. I do remember that. Yeah, I yeah. remember it being very humid, like you said. And when you watch it back, like it actually, you know, like what was our budget? You know, twelve bucks or whatever. Yeah. But it was actually pretty. It's still pretty good because the, the reason why I knew that it turned out good was that m shadows who sang on the song actually wanted to be in the video yeah i thought at first he'd be like oh it's too cheap or whatever but he actually wanted to be in it we went out of our way sean had to film him on green screen in la to kind of put him on the tv that was broadcasting the demons and he kind of came on in this possessed tv or whatever it was yeah exactly 
Yeah, that was that was a really cool addition. I remember too because we were all putting contact lenses in because we were possessed. Yeah. So we had the white contacts, and Rich couldn't, or the guitar player Rich just could not get him in. His, I remember he was just trying. He was crying. If, yeah. If you're not used to it, and and he was just like, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry." We said, "Well, that's fine. You just put your hair in front of your face. No one will notice, anyways." <laughs> yeah, I think we just had to kind of cut around it because everyone else was able to get him in. And I remember I felt so bad for him too because I put contacts in my eyes too, and it's if you're not used to it, and if you're doing it for the first time, it's like it's really kind of jarring and uh, right and, and stuff. So yeah, I felt terrible for him. So we just had to kind of cut cut around that a little. Bit. You know, it's interesting too, is before the Judas video came out, that one was about uh, almost at a million. And I remember I told somebody like, I hope if the Stampaper did a million, I hope Judas can do 3 million. And Judas went through the roof where it's now, I think at 52 or 53 million and Sandpaper's up to both, I think 4 million views now. So yeah, people are still checking it out, which is cool. So this was kind of our first foray into making a, a real music video. So to yeah. speak. well, well the, the success of the Judas video definitely helped Sandpaper, you know, cause once you, it did, yeah. you know, you see what other videos, Fozzie everything did. got swept up. The last thing I want to talk to you about Sandpaper is remember you mentioned that we had the weeds and the branches and the trees kind of attack us like evil dead how did you do that speed it up obviously but how do you film that like what was kind of the, the secret behind that well we had a couple of guys go out into the woods prior to filming and they found a lot of the, those weeds and and uh vines and things we sent the guys out look you know look for some vines that you can just tear off the tree and and uh that we can use so we we wrapped you guys up in the vine made you kind of struggle with it in the scene and then kind of pull them so then we reverse the footage. So then in the oh. video, it looks like, you know, they're actually moving forward instead of backwards. And, you know, just like one of those old, you know, cheap right. tricks and stuff. M movie magic. No CGI uh, in the Fozzie videos. Not because we're artists. We just couldn't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, like you said, that led to our relationship. And then I come and do the first interview for you. How hard was it to get some of the names you wanted? Because as we know, in Hollywood, usually it's like, when you get one person, you say, well, Chris Jericho's done it. And then suddenly we get Chris Jericho and Kirk Hammett has done it. And then suddenly the ball keeps rolling. So who were some of the major names that when you got them, you were able to attract other people? Well, Kirk, definitely, uh, you know, yeah. having, having you on board, Kirk, you know, I got uh, Tom Savini on pretty early, Doug Bradley, uh, Corey Taylor was actually was mm -hmm. a pretty early one. And I had met Corey a couple of years back when I was still working at the Stern show. I met him for the first time and then him and I could kind of run into each other at different events and things like that. So I had met his manager prior to that. So I was able to reach out to her, you know, request uh, the interview and everything. So he already kind of knew me at that point. So, so it was cool. But yeah, once, once I had a short list of, of people already in there, I built the website around it and did a, a short trailer. And so from there, other people were able to see it as like a legit project, you know, with, with some big names and it just kind of kept going on from there. And uh, yeah, there were, I mean, there were still a bunch of people that I would have loved to have interviewed for this. And I tried really hard, but it just didn't come to fruition for, for whatever reason. So, uh, but you know, I got an amazing lineup of, of people. I mean, over, over 60 interviews in this thing. So I've been, I've been very, very lucky to get as many people as I did. It's funny with Corey. I was just watching a documentary uh, called "In Search of Dark." Is it "In Search of Darkness"? Yeah, yeah. The the about eighties horror. It was part two, and uh, Corey was in that. So he and I were talking about that. Probably just I don't know six months ago, whenever we watched it. And then I was just talking to him the other day. I'm like, dude, like we are horror movie documentary sluts. Like I just saw another one that we're both in. He goes, which one? I said, the history of metal horror. He goes, I forgot about that one. I said, so did I didn't, I didn't forget about it. Cause you kept mentioning, it, but I forgot that I had done the interview so far ago 
uh, at the Gramercy. So you mentioned that there are some guys that that you didn't get that you wanted to. Who who were some of those? Hmm. <laughs> I'm always like careful to uh, to mention names because I don't I don't want to seem like you know I don't want to like gotcha. throw anyone under the, under the bus or, or or anything. But uh, but yeah, like I worked really hard to try to get Ozzy, and I was working with this manager who was very cool. Uh, it's just a lot of different things happen. You know, Ozzy would have you know maybe some some health issue or something else would would kind of come in the way. So there's always a roadblock with Ozzy. I try to get um, Kerry King. I think he originally wanted to do it, but then just got caught up with stuff. And then Slayer was going through their their thing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's just uh, a lot of it is is not so much that anyone would say no, you know, right away. It's more like yeah, let's do it, but right now is not a good time. Let's wait a couple of months or, or whatever. So right. it would just be like, okay, we'll check in in a few months. Uh, still not a good time. A couple of more months. Yeah, we still want to do it, but it's not a good time. And then eventually it just, it gets to be such a long period that it just never happens. Well, you also kind of get the hint too. You can only ask someone so many times before you're like, maybe they aren't into this, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, and, and it was tricky because there were some interviews like Rob Zombie, you know, I was in touch with his management for about a year and a half. Right. And they were very cool from the start. And they said, yeah, Rob, you know, Rob wants to do it. I think I had texted with him once, actually uh, mentioned it. And he said, yeah, you know, work it out with management. And and so we did. But it did take about a year and a half for that mm. interview to actually happen. So though those were one of those things where you kind of have to be persistent enough to get it and not give up. Because had I given up early on, then I wouldn't have had the interview. But I kept in touch with management. I saw that Rob Zombie was performing in New York. I said, hey, you know, Rob's going to be in town is it cool if maybe we head over to the show and then just grab a couple of minutes with them before the show? And they said, yeah, let's do that. So that, so eventually it happened. And, and Rob was so cool because uh, we, when we got there, he actually apologized to me. He's like, Hey man, I'm so sorry. It took this long to finally get the interview. And I said, you're a little mm-hmm. bit of a busy guy. You got movies going on, albums, tours, all this kind of stuff. I said, it's totally cool. I appreciate that. So, uh, so yeah, so a lot of it is just sort of waiting and getting lucky and some of it is waiting and nothing happens. Well, Rob is a, is one of the kind of the the cornerstones of of what metal and horror is because he does both. Like you mentioned, he mentions in the documentary how he kind of started creating his own stages and his own videos, and then actually doing his own movies. So, so that's a, a great guy to have. What do you what do you think of Rob's movies and how they tie in with all of this? I think they're cool. I think, I think they have a uh, what I like about his movies is sort of just the old grittiness to them there's a certain grit to his films that, uh, that you don't see in a lot of stuff. So I think that's kind of a cool thing, you know, to kind of really just like, you kind of feel dirty, you know, you just kind of feel kind of gross. Like, Oh, I mean, it like, you got, the, you got this, this dust mm-hmm. on your skin after, after coming out of it. But yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm interested to see what he does with the, uh, with the monsters remake that he's working on. I mean, that would seem that would have much more of a comedy element to it. You would yeah. think. I would imagine so. I've like, I, and I'm sure he's trying to stay true to the to the original as much as much as possible. Yeah, it's interesting to me because when I went and saw House of a Thousand Corpses in the theater, I did feel dirty. Now, Devil's yeah. Rejects is different because they're a little bit more pop culture heroes at that time. But the first House of a Thousand Corpses, you didn't really know what was going on. Like, mm-hmm. what, what is all of this about? And feel dirty. Feel kind of like if this was a wrestling match, the bad guys take the beginning of the match they take the middle of the match <laughs> and then they take the end of the match and they win the end yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, nothing good happens in that movie nothing good happens no it's it's all it's all pain and misery speaking of which i, I was uh, fortunate enough to have interviewed sid haig i had a lot of good talks with sid we had uh, breakfast and lunch a few times and 
he was a great storyteller and we interviewed him probably in about 2015, I think when he was still himself. And, uh, sadly, you know, he passed and, and years after, you know, year after year after the interview, seeing him, you know, we saw him kind of go downhill health wise. And it was just really, really sad to see. And Bill Mosley also from, from the film was interviewed as well. So, you know, I've known Bill for a couple of years now also. That's also part of the process, just building these relationships with with people that I've watched in films and um, their music I listen to and everything. Everyone likes a great deal, like savings, markdowns, and lunch specials. But when it comes to car insurance, we know the right place. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your ride. Your friends don't have to have a connection or call in a favor. State Farm offers options like insuring your ride and your home getting you great rates on both. Now that's a deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Was there anybody that was that hard to get like any stories behind that? And I'll give you an example. Like the first time before I really knew Kevin Smith, well, he was going to do Talk is Jericho. And I was told to go to his house because Kevin likes doing everything in his own studio at his house. And I went to his house, you know, I knock on the door, there's nobody really there. So I get in the car and I drive away and I see him walking his dog and I pull up next to him and he thinks I'm some kind of a weird fan or something like, we're supposed to have an interview. And he's like, what? That's now? Oh, I thought that was, you know, tomorrow or whatever. And I was like, well, he goes, "Uh, just, can you come back later? (laughs) All right. Like when? He's not just later. And I'm like. Okay. So I ended up I, now he and I are, are, are really good friends and we've been on each other's podcast quite a few times, but that was one of those ones where it's like, if this motherfucker's not home later, I'm just going <laughs> to climb through his window and wait inside his house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't blame you for that. Either. <laughs> right. Right. Did you have any experiences like that? No, not really. I mean, I remember, uh, I mean, a couple of small, funny things would happen here and there. I remember we, we interviewed, uh, you know, Phil and Selmo and he was doing the, his convention, the, the house core convention. And so we, we set up a hotel room like we did for a lot of interviews and we just set it up lights and cameras and everything. So we mentioned to him earlier that we're going to do interviews and if he'd want to be interviewed, you know, come up to the room whenever he's ready. So he came up, I don't know what he was, what he thought initially was going on. Cause once we opened the door, he kind of peeks in and he looks nervous. Like we're doing some kind of snuff film or a weird porno <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> he's like, Oh, and then, and then once he kind of saw some of his people in there, he was like, oh, "Okay, okay." So he, then he comes in and he sits down. That was a pretty. That was a fun interview. He was, he's an intense, intense guy. I think he was a little bit uh, high, shall we say, in that one because you could tell by his voice. He's got that super deep voice as it is, right? Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but uh, <laughs> you don't have to. I saw. I said it. I saw it. <laughs> people can make that. People, people can uh, judge for themselves once they see it. But uh, yeah, he was uh, he was a trip for sure. <laughs> You mentioned, uh, I mean, we can go through some of the other people that are in the movies because you've got a lot of great characters in them. And obviously, Alice Cooper, who is also a, a friend of mine, great guy, another great storyteller, awesome sense of humor. Uh, and you mentioned you did that at Cooperstown, which is his restaurant. So uh, what was your experiences with Alice? That was amazing. And that, that was an interview that took a while to get going. But uh, but yeah. Why, why is that? just timing you know he yeah. he might have been on tour he might have been working on other things so we had this window of opportunity to fly out to to cooperstown and interview him there and he said he, we must have sat down with him for about an hour and he was just the nicest guy i mean everything they say about him is true he is just mm-hmm. like the nicest guy and just so gracious so humble 
you know, he had ordered uh, uh, food for for himself and his family, I guess, from the restaurant. And it was just sitting there probably for about a half an hour. And we're still talking. He's like in no rush to, to get out of there. He's just, ha- you know, having a good time talking to us about uh, about horror movies. And uh, and that that sort of happened a few times. It happened with Corey Taylor as well. We interviewed him before a Slipknot show in Jersey. He We had maybe half an hour with him or something like that. They said, you know, you got a half an hour, then we got to get Corey to the next interview, then the show and all this stuff. So I think maybe a half hour in his uh, tour manager comes in and says, Hey, Corey, you know, we got to get you to the, to the next interview. He's like, Hey man, give me like another 10, 15 minutes. I'm on a roll here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So it's like a lot of these guys just love talking about horror so much that they will kind of push everything else to the side for, for a little extra longer to have a good conversation and being fans of these guys too. Like that's such a cool thing <laughs> for someone to make extra time for you. Like that's really awesome. Well, that's the secret to it too, is you're getting guys who really are, interested in this on, on both sides of the coin you know i mean Corey is a perfect example and we've done it i've done it with him you want to talk about fulci you want to talk about gates of hell you want to talk about argento you want to talk about john carpenter you know what do you got sort of thing and, and that's I, I would imagine those are the best talking heads that you could have for your documentary when you have somebody who's really super interested in these things yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, not everyone gets to talk about this stuff, you know, kind of geek out. And if you're hanging out with friends or or your spouse or whoever who's just not into it, you don't you know, it's not like a regular conversation. It's like every now and then you'll run into a buddy who's just really into the the subject matter. And then you'll just kind of go off and, and start telling stories. And, you know, we did that, too. We did that with a bunch of guys just just started talking about horror films. And um, and that's that's something I really wanted to bring to this documentary is just to really show the passion you know that all you guys have for horror so we really focus on you know the way that the way the document is kind of structured is you know it starts out with uh well first of all there's there's a 13 minute short film that is broken up into segments and each part of the short film introduces the next section and and the short film is hosted by michael berryman the first section of the documentary is, is really about the history of horror and it's a very beefy section because horror goes so far back into history you know just like writing hieroglyphics on the walls and and paintings and then getting into books and films and all this stuff. And then we kind of branch into how all the stars, how, you know, you guys were first introduced to horror as a kid, like what were your experiences as a child? How did that shape your interest in this genre? And then we get into the history of metal and then we kind of bring the two together and, and see how they, how they merged, you know, how a lot of metal guys started bringing horror into their, music into the stage shows and their look and and everything so then we sort of conclude with you know why is it that metal and horror work so well together and then the film concludes everything and and that's kind of the structure of the yeah film. it was that was interesting and something you don't you don't see in other documentaries which is like you mentioned kind of your own little short horror movie intertwined with with the documentary what was the reasoning uh behind that because it is a little bit weird at first you're like what is this it's a documentary but it starts out in the bunker and he's the last living human on earth and you see michael berryman of course who we all know from hills have eyes or from the motley crew home sweet home video if that's so inclined in that way so so you see what's going on but it's very original you don't see it in most documentaries if any others at all that i can think of yeah i i felt that most documentaries that I was seeing were just straight talking heads in B-roll, and uh, which is fine, but I just wanted to do something a little bit different. I wanted to make a little bit more of a theatrical experience. So I did this short film, and, and basically, uh, without giving too much away on that, it's just about this um, 
you know, it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic world. And there's one guy who's, who's remaining and he finds these, uh, cassettes that have like history lessons on them. So he kind of puts them in the machine and Michael Berryman ultimately appears and starts giving him sort of the history lesson. He's like, now let's talk about the history of horror. Let's talk about the history of metal. And, and so he's uh, sort of introducing each segment. So he's working as the host. And in some documentaries, you might have a host, you know, who kind of talks to the camera and, and it's very right. straightforward, but I wanted to make him also a character in a film and not just hosted by Michael Berryman and he's just being himself. I wanted him to be a character as well. So yeah, and it was also an opportunity for me to do a short film at the same time because mm -hmm. ultimately, ultimately what I want to do is, is do feature horror films. You know, I was able to kind of crease my wheels a little bit and do a documentary, which I was really passionate about, but also kind of do a bit of a, a film narrative aspect to it as well. I love it. Great, great finish with some nice... Uh, a plus gore <laughs> at the end. But you did mention though, Mike, like this is a lot to, to bite off. Your take on this was explain the history of horror, then explain the history of heavy metal. I mean, that's a lot to tackle in two 15 minute segments or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also like the horror section is, is definitely beefier than, than the metal as far as the history goes, just because right. the history is so much longer for horror. And, and it's really kind of focusing on how horror influenced the musicians. Not so much the other way around, because a lot of the horror guys aren't really metal fans. That's one thing that I also discovered along the way, too, is that, you know, you talk to uh, Tom Savini or Doug Bradley or whoever, and you say, hey, you're like, who are your favorite metal bands? And they'd be like, I don't really like heavy metal. <laughs> oh, wow, so it's not reciprocal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a few of them did, but, you know, a few of them like, yeah, you know, I kind of like uh, Metallica and, and stuff like that, but it's not the same. You know, the other way around, that's for sure. Talk is Jericho supported in part by Nitza. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that can happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows what the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel uh, while under the influence. And that's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, you might want to think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. The tougher the opponent, the more you need a game plan. BioNTech and Pfizer remind you to consider getting vaccinated against COVID-19. Did you learn anything when you were discussing the history of horror? Like, how did you, did you have somebody work with you on that? Like a fact checker? Or did you just basically just Google it and start doing it yourself? I, I Googled. Uh, I found Karina Wilson, who is a horror historian and a and writer. She's, uh, she's in the film quite a bit. And she, I mean, she said, we sat down with her for me, probably over two hours and the amount of horror history that, that she keeps in her brain is, is incredible. I mean, she remembers dates and names and, and everything without looking at notes. I mean, it's, it's like, she has a computer for her brain and she's just given this huge lesson in horror, you know, year after year after year. Uh, we also spoke to Del Howison of, of Dark Delicacies in, in California, uh, he's also a writer, horror historian. So, um, 
we spoke to him. He's, he's a friend of uh, my friend and producer, Rob Lucas. So we were able to get him on board and he was also able to give a lot of horror history as well. So between the two of them, they were able to kind of get things started and then everyone else kind of chimed in after that. But they, they helped build the structure of like the history of horror, which was great because then it's not just fans of the genre just talking about their favorite movies. It's, it's really getting into actual history. Of, of the genre itself going way, way back in time. Well, once again, the history of metal and horror, and that's exactly what you tackled. I thought it was great too. You found a lot of, of guests. I keep saying guests. I don't know if that's the proper way to say it. Cast members, uh, contributors. Interviewees. Interviewees, <laughs> yeah. That I've never seen before. Like, I th- And I'm probably getting this wrong and you can, you can correct me, but relatives, Boris Karloff's, granddaughter or whatever uh, 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 Lon Chaney's grandson Bill Lugosi's grandson talk a little bit about that because I've never seen these people before oh yeah on camera and it was really cool to see yeah I, I was very very fortunate uh and I met them all at, at Kirk's show actually he had them all because he's he's oh. fans of theirs so he brought them on board so yeah so we have Sarah Karloff who's actually Boris Karloff's daughter we have Bela Lugosi Jr. who's you know Bela Lugosi's son and then Ron Chaney Jr who is the grandson of Ron Ch- of Lon Chaney Jr. and you know great grandson of uh, Lon Chaney Lon Chaney Jr. So this is Lon Chaney three basically. Yeah, so there's Lon Chaney Senior, Lon Chaney Jr. and then I guess his dad Ron and then he's Ron Jr. So okay, gotcha. Yeah, so he's he's great grandson of Lon Chaney Senior. Right. Basically, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, and and they're all still running running their families' uh, industries, you know. They're so they're still doing, you know, Cheney Entertainment or um, Karloff Enterprises. So they're still still keeping the name alive, and they're still appearing at conventions, doing signings and uh, and everything. So it's uh, it's very, I was incredibly lucky to to get them on board, like the actual descendants of the originators, really, of some of the big monster movies. Well, those are not three of the coolest names ever. Just perfect for horror. Boris Karloff, Bella Lugosi, Lon Chaney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the the fascination is with those old Universal monsters? And of course, Universal is the studio that made these movies in the 30s and 40s, black and white. We're talking about the Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, Creature of the Black Lagoon, etc. Why are we still fascinated with them all these years later with all the CGI and all the other special effects that we've seen? I mean, I think it's an appreciation for what started it all. And I think the same thing goes for music, too. I think a lot of musicians look back on some of the early uh, uh, fans of, of Black Sabbath, you know, one of the first metal bands, really, uh, who, who so many people uh, were inspired by. It's different, maybe, from, from what we're used to now, but, like, you can still go back and really appreciate the art form and, and look back and say, wow, this is sort of what started everything else, you know, it, it just exploded into this massive industry. And I think there's like a nostalgia for, for the old stuff. And, and also if you're just into, you know, you, you got some people, some fans of horror who may be looking at those old films, like, ah, those are corny. I can't watch that stuff. You know, it's, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. loud. It's not bloody. It's not, the acting is cheesy or whatever, but if you're really into history and, and how film grew and evolved, I think you can look back on those films like, wow, this is what inspired everything else that we're looking at now. I mean, it had to start somewhere, even though those weren't the first horror films, you know, you had earlier horror films, uh, silent movies and stuff, 
these are the first big ones, you know, how many Frankenstein movies have been made? How many Dracula movies have been made? I mean, it's just those, those films really stuck around because they were such great, even just the original books were, were so fantastic. You can just keep making a new movie based on those original stories. Right. And so they become so classic that you could just keep going. You know, there aren't that many, I don't know how many books are written today where you'll have a, a film made of it and remade and remade again after that. It's like, those original universals have been made and, and changed in, in a lot of different ways over the years, but those characters are what people still kind of go back to every now and then. It's interesting too, because, you know, you're talking about the history of horror and you have to get the grandchildren, you know, the descendants of these original characters. We talk about the history of, he history of heavy metal, which basically only started specifically late sixties, early seventies. And you have somebody like Alice Cooper, who not only is one of the first guys to do horror in heavy metal. He's one of the first guys to do heavy metal, period. So I thought that's kind of cool when you're talking about the history and that horror goes back to caveman times. Heavy metal goes back to, you know, I was born in 1970, basically right at the beginning of my life. So when you get someone like Alice out there, because there's there, there was so much to talk about from a metal side, the horror side as well, and, and then even talking about Prince of Darkness and his relationship with John Carpenter, who's also in the movie. I thought that was really cool, too. We've never really seen that before, how Alice even ended up in that movie and how integral he is to both sides of the coin. And it was great because he told his side of the story from Prince of Darkness and John Carpenter, who's also in the film, told his side of the story. So I was able to intercut their interviews together to help tell the story you know, together. So, yeah, I mean, Alice, basically, they were friends and he showed up to the set just to kind of hang out. And John Carpenter just grabbed him and, you know, trying to kind of dragged him in for a small part. And that's how we ended up in the movie. I saw Prince of Darkness probably only once. I need to rewatch it. But I remember that death and explain what Alice did and, and where Carpenter got the idea from it, because he just basically wrote the scene on the spot, right? Yeah. So John says, uh, I guess Alice had a, a thing he'd do on stage where he'd take like a part of a bicycle and, and jam it through right. someone or, or, or he'd stick something through. He'd impale someone with, with like a, a pole or whatever. So John knew about that. So then when they were on set, I guess they had this part of a um, half bicycle or something like that where yeah. there's a pipe sticking out of it, a bar sticking out of it, whatever. So <laughs> so Alice, you know, confronts this guy. He, he blocks him in the hallway, in the uh, alleyway. Alleyway, yeah. Right. And then he takes the bicycle stand and he just impales the guy with, <laughs> with the bike. So that's how it ended up in the movie because Alice was doing this type of stuff on stage. So John wanted to bring that into the movie. And that was, yeah, it was just like it wasn't really planned. Uh, way in advance it's just something that kind of happened while they were shooting how was it that you were able to get john carpenter once again that's a huge get for the horror you know from the yeah. horror world yeah that was that was a cool one because um again uh rob had brought me on board um rob has a studio in burbank zombie no sorry uh rob lucas uh gotcha. who's his producer on on the film and my and uh good friend so he worked it out with john to do two of john's uh music videos because uh, Carpenter, he was doing, um, he had a new album coming out and he wanted to do, uh, he, he redid uh, Escape from New York and uh, and, and a new one called Distant Dream. So his new uh, musical tracks that, that he put together. So he wanted two new music videos. So I was brought on board to do Second Camera and then I also edited both videos. So we were working with him. What did we shoot? We actually shoot that. We shot that at a sound stage, actually, in L.A. So we shot it there, and then we came back to the studio. I cut it there, and then 
when John came over to watch him, he loved both videos and it was very cool. And kind of throughout that process, we said, hey, you know, we're doing this documentary called The History of Metal and Horror. Would you sit down for a few minutes to do an interview? So because we were working with him on his videos, he was uh, kind of as a favor. He sat down with us to do the interview for this. Well, so that's kind of how we, we built that uh, relationship, which was very cool. How was he as the interview? He was cool. He, you know, he's very, uh, very direct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very to the point. He doesn't like to dilly dally. He likes to get it done and, and, and get out. But, uh, but yeah, he was, he was very, uh, very cool. Gave a lot of great answers and it, yeah, just amazing to have one of the biggest horror directors in the world, you know, sit down with us for a little bit. Uh, it was fantastic, you know, because I mean, I'm such a huge fan of his movies too. Absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, Prince of Darkness, I saw it in the theater when it was out, and I can't remember how many times I saw that. But also, like, In the Mouth of Madness, which is something that doesn't get a whole lot of attention, is also one of my favorites to this day. So It's interesting, too, because I didn't even realize this till I watched the Anthrax documentary of their 40th anniversary, that they did the soundtrack for The Ghosts of Mars, which, of course, is like another Carpenter kind of early 90s forgotten film Another band, I know Charlie's very much obsessed with with horror, as is Scott. You mentioned even the lyrics that he wrote for Anthrax. Yeah, Scott, he he definitely talks about just being influenced by horror and comic books. Stephen King books uh, specifically were were really um, really inspired him a lot, and Charlie as well. And he's you know he loves bands like uh, like Ghost, who kind of bring on this horror look. And he talks about the album cover first ghost album cover is like the same design as Salem's lot. Right. So right. We, so we, and we talk about album covers too, like, like a lot, so many album covers are kind of uh, horror artwork and, and that's sort of designed to catch a person's eyes and say, Oh my God, look at that. You know, like the first Iron Maiden album. Yes. Uh, Scott talks about that as well. Being, you know, being a young guy in a record store, seeing this album cover with Eddie on the, on the cover. And I know you talk a lot about Eddie as well in, in the doc. But yeah, so we, we talk about that as well as like you see this horror imagery on an album cover, which is unusual for the most part. And it makes you just kind of pick it up and kind of take a chance on it. So, that, I mean, that was a huge thing. You know, basically, I think the, the, the crux of this really started in the 80s when, you know, that I still remember Killer's album cover being like terrifying like as a kid, it came out in 82. So I was 10 or 11. Like it was creepy. Like you were scared by this thing like oh my gosh like i don't i don't even know if i want to read this that one was bad hell awaits was bad because the demons like some just pulling this guy's head off and eviscerating him like it's we're all been so desensitized now in 2021 but in 1984 the heavy metal bands were putting horror on their album covers that literally scared you yeah yeah i mean i, I remember i think i was in uh walking with my parents in, in downtown Albany when I was, when I was a kid and I saw Eddie for the first time and on, on the outside of a, on a poster outside of a record store. And I'm like, Holy shit. I'm like, what the f-? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's some, that's some creepy shit that you don't you know normally see. Uh, so yeah. And, and I remember being a kid and there would, there would be these um, commercials for those kiss dolls. And I remember right. that back in like the late seventies or yeah. something. And, uh, and those used to freak me out you know, the, <laughs> the Gene Simmons and, and everything. I saw that as a kid and I'm like, those are some scary ass toys. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> I don't right. know if I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's the famous Kiss Alive 2 album cover where Gene's got the blood out of his mouth. He just looks like this overfed, vampiric, worm, like blood drunk. 
That'd be a great name for a horror movie, Blood Drunk. Did you ever try and get Gene? Because he's a huge horror movie fan. I did. I did. Those those are one of the other ones that just didn't work out for whatever yeah. reason. But uh, but yeah, I, d- I did reach out to him because I know that he's he's a huge horror uh, horror guy, and he's been in horror films as well. So that's right. Been, yeah. So would have been would have been a good interview. But yeah, there's just some that some you just can't make it happen, right? Yeah, for whatever reason. Starts to wind down. He had such a, another great plethora of of. You know, we've talked a lot about the metal guys, but you have a lot of, of of great horror movie icons too. And I mean, Gunnar Hansen, who of course was Leatherface, and Kane Hodder, who was uh, probably the most famous of the Jasons. How was that for you talking with them? Because Texas is none of those ones. It came out in '74, and people kind of gloss over it, but it is one of the most terrifying movies still to this day. Along with The Exorcist, along with Halloween, you didn't need CGI characters to freak you out from those characters. Oh yeah, I mean, and and Texas Chainsaw also had that that grittiness to it that just made you feel right. kind of sick. And when you hear stories about about the filming, how they actually had. Uh, you know, live animal organs and stuff right. on, that, on that table and they're just baking under the hot lights and it, the place stinks and people throwing up everywhere and it's just disgusting. When you hear those stories, it makes it even more, you know, terrifying in a way yeah. to think like that's, those aren't just props. Like those are actually, that's like rotting meat Oof. on the table there with real flies and, and maggots and stuff. But yeah, we interviewed Gunner who played Leatherface and um, rest in peace. He, you know, he's another one who, who that's passed right. away. Uh, and but such a such a nice guy gave us a great interview, and he wasn't he was also another guy that wasn't really like a metal fan, but he gave such great answers on on why metal and horror worked well well together because he understands it he understands the genre and why people are into it, both for heavy metal and horror, and so we we got to interview him at a convention after the show and he was just the nicest guy. And, uh, you know, he asked us out, has us to come hang out and have a beer afterwards. And he said, yeah, I'll be in the lobby later on. Come on, come by and have a beer with us. And, and uh, unfortunately it never happened. He was a little too tired and stuff, but, um, but yeah, such a nice guy. And I, and I do have a picture with him, with him dressed up in the original Leatherface costume with the <laughs> chainsaw and everything. They did some photo ops at the convention. So that was another, another great moment, but yeah, uh, Kane, Kane Hodder, definitely, the most famous Jason out of, out of all of them. Right. Just cause he was in, um, he was started in part seven, but he, he did the most, uh, Friday 13th films and people just, you know, and there are a lot of guys too, like CJ Graham also who from part six, part six was another big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's CJ's also in the film, but yeah, Kane and Kane is such a, like a fun guy to, to hang out with. He'll, he'll break your balls <laughs> to no end, <laughs> but it's very cool. And I, and I have an awesome picture with him, with him choking me in one arm and, and uh, Kirk Hammett in, in the other. Oh. So that's, that's one of my favorite photos. I love that one. But, uh, but yeah, these, these guys are also just down to earth and fun and cool and everything. It's, it's such a diverse collection of, of, of interviewees. How, how do you like, okay, so now the ball is rolling. Like you said at first, okay, we got Jericho, we got Kirk. Now we can go get this guy, this guy. You look down this cast list and there's, like you said, 60 interviews on here. Where are you kind of swinging from vine to vine too? Just like, well, I'll take this guy. I'll take this guy. Are people bringing names up? You know who would be good is so-and-so. Initially, when I first started this, I kind of put a list together of everyone that I'd like to interview. You know, guys who I knew uh, who had some kind of a, a metal connection, metal artists, horror guys. And then some of it was going through... Um, through friends, you know, like like Rob Lucas, you know, he, he knows a lot of these. He's friends with, you know, best friends with Tom Savini, close friends with Doug Bradley and, and a lot of other people. So he was able to do a lot of the int- introductions along the way. 
And then sometimes I would just reach out to an artist manager. You know, I'd, I'd find their contact somewhere and I just mail, email them and say, hey, I'm doing this project. I'd love to interview so-and-so. So, so a lot of it came, came through that as well. And sometimes it would just be going to the convention floor and saying, you know, just kind of looking around saying, hey, who would be good for an interview? And I just go up to the table and say, hey, I'm here for the weekend. I'm going to be shooting up in a uh, room, whatever. If you have a free 15 minutes, oh. you know, come by and then we schedule a uh, you know, time slot. So I might come away from a horror convention with maybe three or four. Gotcha. Yeah. So we just kind of bang it out that way. It's like I'd look at the at the roster and say, oh, you know, here's a whole list of people that are going to be attending. If I can reach out to them beforehand, you know, I'll, I'll do that. But otherwise, if I can't, I'll just kind of meet them on the floor and uh, and let them know what I'm up to. So a lot, a lot of the interviews happen that way. I love the uh, Mark Price uh, from Trick or Treat. Obviously, Skippy from Family Ties. And it's like you see him and he looks almost the same. Obviously, he's older. But it was, you know, you see guys like that in there. It just makes the whole movie more complete. Yeah, he was a great addition. He was probably the last interview that uh, that I had. Um, I flew out to Ohio. He was doing because uh, he does. He's the stand up, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's a stand up comedian. So I think he was doing a show out there. And it was it was the closest it was a sh- really short flight for me and he was available. So I flew out uh, to the hotel. We just shot, shot an interview there and, and he was great because he was in trick or treat and, and trick or treat is such a great film to cover for this too, because it, it also is a film that brings in heavy metal and horror. You know, it's a horror film with a very strong heavy metal element to it. So, uh, so Mark was, Gene, Gene and Ozzy are both Gene in it. And Ozzy are yeah. both in it, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and Mark, uh, I asked Mark if, if you know if the opportunity ever came along to do a sequel. He's like, yes, yes, <laughs> without me even finishing the uh, the question. He's like, absolutely. So who knows? He's like maybe. for any movie. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care what it is. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, maybe that's something that that can come to fruition at some point too. When when you've been filming for seven years, when do you know that it's done? Like, because this seems to me that you could pull a Chinese democracy and tinker with this thing. You know, once it's seven years, it's like ah, what's another two? Or I'm I'll, I'm going to wait for Ozzy. Or I'm going to wait for Gene. Like, when do you finally go, dude? This is this is this is what I need. This is done. Seven years is just it's a long time and it kind of wears it was wearing on me after a while, you know, working on it. And, and I mean, I started editing immediately as soon as I got the footage back, I started kind of cutting it up. So we're talking about, you know, a bunch of years doing that. And I was just getting was getting to the point where I just needed to to wrap it up. And, and I was seeing that I just wasn't really getting anywhere as far as uh, getting these other interviews. It just right. seemed like how much longer can you really wait? And no one's really giving a definite answer as to you know whether or not it's going to happen it's like yeah maybe maybe not so i kind of had to put the brakes on and say all right you know it's just i got to get this thing done because I, c- I could wait another seven years you know for for someone to become available and and it'll never happen so it just needed to it needed to be done and i just needed to just wrap it up because uh it was it was it was a lot of work it, gotcha. it was kind of wearing on me and um but it was it was fun. I mean, it's, it's it wasn't a drag working on, but it's, I want to move on to other things. So. Well, you want to get it out there too, you know. And that's you know, I, I did a documentary last year called "I'm Too Old for This Shit," which was more of a of a story about you know, it's more of an inspirational heavy metal type story. Uh, and we bypassed going to all the different festivals and just actually went straight to to iTunes, etc. And actually, it's funny; you'll be proud of me. I just got my first check uh the 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 um gravitas which is what i went through must have recouped because i got my first 
check for the film yesterday for one dollar and forty nine cents. Nice. So uh, <laughs> there you go, guys. There, there's the uh, the realities of the documentary movie making business. But we have recouped, so now I'll, I'll start making profit. But you obviously went the other route because I'm looking here of all the film festivals that you've been entered in, all the film festivals that you've won, selected, etc., etc., etc. That's been very uh, very successful for you. So is that kind of how you do it? Is you go just, you know, winner of Fear Maker of the Year, Horror Fest, Hot Springs International Horror F Film Festival, and there's dozens of them on here. So that's been very, very uh, successful for you. That's been, yeah. I mean, I, I was that's something I was really looking forward to, uh, and that's another thing too. Is like you want to you want to jump on that festival circuit at a good time because you, it's very easy to run late on that and, and just and just miss all these festivals. You're talking about for like when you release it, then you have to get it in time for the festival's deadline? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of the festivals happen in the uh, late summer and, and fall, getting into early winter. So you kind of miss that window, then you have to wait, you know, kind of another... I mean, there are festivals going on all, all year, but the, the bulk of them are really happening now. So once you miss that window, then at that point, you might as well wait another year. But I want right. to jump on that. And uh, and it's been great so far. I mean, the film's been shown at different festivals around the country. It's been shown in South Africa. It's been shown in Denmark. It's been it's been getting around. So uh, it's been it's been great. And I got got a couple of awards so far. I've got Spooky Empire's Fear Fear Maker of the Year, which is a very cool. Uh, <laughs> I've been to Spooky Empire. That's really cool. Yeah. So that was that was great. And uh, yeah, I've won awards for best editing for best documentary. So when when will this one when will this be available? Uh, hopefully, still working on it. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, early next year. I think. I mean, part of the film festival scene is just getting it shown uh, around at different festivals, and hopefully, hopefully, getting it seen by different sales agents and right. distributors. So uh, I've got a few offers so far. I'm still you know, getting a couple more. And then once I get something I'm really comfortable with, I'll, I'll jump on that and then uh, hopefully get a good deal and then hopefully get Go it out there. to all the fans in uh, early 2022. And like you said, this is, this is quite a process. It's not uh, easy to do. So the fact that you've released it and got all the success so far is great. Um, but last few questions for you. We keep talking about this. Why, in your opinion, does horror and heavy metal mix so well? I mean, I think if you're just naturally into dark forms of art you know if you like dark stories dark movies dark music then you're you're drawn to both it's definitely the two genres that that go hand in hand i think just because they're both aggressive in their own kind of way i mean metal is aggressive horror is aggressive it's dark it's scary you know it's loud so if, if you're drawn to those types of themes then um then it's very easy to be a fan of both uh, heavy metal and horror yeah, I agree. And like, I, th I think a lot of it is the imagery too, like we discussed. I mean, you can't, there is no, I mean, you know, we didn't even talk about Cannibal Corpse. Just, I mean, they kind of went completely down the the gore route for their album covers and lyrics. Not that you can understand any of them because it's just one big rah. I love George Corpse Grinder. I always call him the thumb, the, the human thumb. You just, you put a face on a thumb and that's him. He's got no neck. It's just... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's that's one of the funny things too is that uh, when you see him on stage, you listen to his music. I mean, it just sounds like evil, you know, just pure evil right. coming out of, coming out of that that throat of his. And uh, then when you sit down with him, it's like he'll talk to you for an hour about comic books and wrestling yeah. and and you know just like fun kind of nerdy stuff, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah, we we spent a lot of time with him on the tour bus at uh, I forgot what what music festival it was, but yeah, he was such a cool and fun guy. Cool dude. I guess last question for you. What's your favorite part of the documentary? Is there a certain interview that stands out for you or a certain moment that you really get a 
it really feels kind of epitomizes what the movie's all about? Not one thing. I think it's just a combination of of everything that's gone into it. Just all the the people that that I got involved with it, the, the stories that they tell, I think just to shape this this whole story. So yeah, there's not one person, there's not one sec section uh, or anything. It's just it's the combination of everyone coming together to tell the story of of metal and horror and uh you know their their favorite films their favorite albums and um you know and why they think these these genres work well together and, and just mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'm having people who were in the films you know that that we all love and and having the people create the music that we all love you know having them sit down and and have a conversation about all this stuff i just, I just think it's it's amazing and i've just been so fortunate to have um been you know have all of you involved in this film and uh, mm. it's been it's been great so I, you know luckily the the reaction so far has been been good and i hope uh hope more people get to see it and enjoy it who's your favorite metal band Whew, that's a hard one <laughs> <laughs> fozzy ah nice <laughs> yeah it, it's uh, with movies you know a lot of people ask me what my favorite horror film is and it's just it, it changes you know it's like i'll be into something for a while and then i was like all right i saw that and and it's cool but then i'm kind of moving on to something else so it really depends i mean <clears> um uh, yeah it's uh you know one more obscure film i talk about is in the mouth of madness like i mentioned earlier and music you know music wise you know I, I like Slipknot. I like Metallica. I like uh, Lamb of God. I mean, it's just, uh, there's just so much, so much, too much stuff. Yeah. There's lo lots of imagery and all. Well, Mike, it's been good talking to you, man. Like I said, congratulations on this. And uh, it was fun to see the evolution of my look because I started out with short hair, but then you've put some more in, uh, recent clips of me beating up Naito and New Japan. And there's me doing a signing. I'm like, it's all the hairstyles of Jericho combined into one movie so even just for that alone you guys have to watch this movie i i, th yeah, I think we might have some more <laughs> bonus features on that too we can kind of you know dive a little bit deeper into uh into the looks of jericho uh, yeah the look, I'm like, and i'm wearing like a yellow wings paul mccartney wings t-shirt with a gray hoodie i'm like what was i doing this dave did did you know you're on camera <laughs> <laughs> well it's another reason why i needed to wrap this thing up because it's like <laughs> you know, exactly. it's, we're, we're, we're all getting older and uh you know and 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 looking looking at the uh watching the interviews like oh my god when did you shoot this you know yeah, so, yeah, exactly. so was, you know he said some people lost weight some people gained weight some people <laughs> right. grew hair some people lost hair so. yeah. well dude it's a great job and like you said it was it was a herculean task that you did really well and um i can't wait for everybody to get a chance to check it out cool thanks so much and if everyone's uh interested you know go to metalhorror.com that's the website and then social media of course instagram facebook uh, twitter is at the metal horror and we keep that updated uh, pretty frequently so uh, maybe we'll be in your town you can come by and check the film out great stuff man thank you dude beware of giant moths yes <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much chris i appreciate it thanks man